new races down in Dickinson, and then Josiah was in his first wrestling tournament, so he's wrestling this year. Wrestling is new to our family. All right. <laughs> There's a wrestler right there. Uh, so anyway, it's a, fascinating. I have never watched wrestling much. I saw it a little bit in the Olympics, but to getting to watch, it's been a lot of fun. So he wrestled his first time on Thursday, did great, and so this was his first tournament so number two, three, four, and five matches. And so he did great. Uh, varsity, he got, was race, had to wrestle 10 pounds heavier than he normally will. Uh, all this losing weight stuff is, 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 is fascinating. I, I don't enjoy that. But uh, anyway, so he did great, won half of his matches, which is awesome. So he got fourth place, super proud dad. Uh, the ones he lost, he lost to a, to a guy that uh, – uh, Penn State is recruiting. He wrestled state last year, so he did did well. Um, but wrestling is great. I think as guys, we often like these kind of contact type of sports. Uh, my boys, uh, I think, went down to the Godbys last night, and and uh, the boys and watched the UFC fighting, which is uh, some of you ladies probably don't like that, but they love it. Uh, but this kind of physical interaction, <laughs> this violent, this struggle. Uh, athletics in general is a great picture of life, right? There is so much a part of life that life is just a struggle. And uh, one of the things I love about the scriptures is that it just lays it out there for us. Uh, things aren't perfect. Uh, there's aspects of the church, at least historically, kind of the church I grew up in. Uh, you know, often people don't like people to know anything going on in their lives. I think in these uh, rising generations over the last 10, 15 years, uh, transparency is something that is valued at a much higher level. Uh, but the church at its best is a place where people are able to live authentically with each other. And I just recognize life being a struggle in some of my conversations with some of you this morning. Uh, um, I know there are aspects of life at times that are just so hard. Um, and in the scripture today, we, we get a picture of that. And the first couple verses, uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 as we continue our series. Um, and specifically, we're going to look at verses 2 through 9, but I'm going to begin in, in verse 1, which we looked at last week uh, of chapter 4. Um, but the first three verses just give you a glimpse of what's going on in the church in Philippi. It says this, it says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters... You whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand, my joy, my crown stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And then he gives us this picture. I plead with. I put my glasses on again, John. I tried when last time you weren't here. I tried to do it without my glasses, and I hit forty and it went downhill. I'm, I'm a little over forty now. Well, a lot of, but anyway, uh, I can see. That's good. Um, I plead with you, Eudea, and pleads with Sintiche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. And so just a, a brief glimpse Paul gives us as he speaks to the church at Philippi, and there's these two ladies who he's worked side by side doing kingdom work, who he loves. I'm sure they love each other, but there is something going on in the relationship. And so his plea, his desire is that they would walk together as they seek to serve the Lord and, and our king and his kingdom in Philippi and, and, and around the world. 
It, it speaks of the same thing he was saying in Philippians chapter 2 when he challenged the church in Philippi with these words. He said, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. And so Paul, even early on in Philippi, said, man, if we are, we are one in Christ, if we are in this together, let us live in this way. And then he goes on in, in chapter 2, and, and we looked at it before, or we looked at it a few weeks ago when I, I preached, but uh, he did challenges using Jesus' example of what it means to lay down your life for each other, to consider others' needs more important than yourself. He said, this is the way we're to live, but the reality was it wasn't pretty, always, in the church of Philippi. It's not always pretty in our lives and in our world. And then he continues, and if you'll read with me in in verse 4 through verse 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. As you read through that passage, I don't know if there's anything that stood out specifically to you, but there were two verses that I want to really lean into initially, and then we're going to look at the entire passage. But in verse 7, he says this, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He he gives us this idea of the peace of God, this idea of peace. And then in the last part of verse 9, He says, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, biblically, this word peace is used both in the New Testament and the Old Testament. In the New Testament, in the Greek, it it literally means to join, to tie together into a whole. And and it really comes, it's it's derived from the Hebrew word, which uh, many of you have heard for peace, which is what? Shalom. It comes from the word shalom. In Hebrew, which means wholeness, completeness, perfectness, and fullness. When God speaks about the peace of God, the God of peace, he's talking about something much more than just the idea that there's lack of conflict, that we're together. It is a picture literally of the kingdom of God. God's peace, his shalom, is this idea of wholeness. Where all that is broken in our word is made whole. This idea of completeness. When we talk about what God desires in relationships, that relationships become whole. When he talks about our lives and what we're living for, what we're giving ourselves, it means wholeness. When we look at all that is broken in our world, the peace of God, the shalom of God, is the fullness of all that God would desire. And so it's interesting in this passage as he begins to talk about peace. The longing of God's heart is that we would know the power of his peace. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What does that begin to look like in our world? The reality, we live in a broken world. We have a broken shalom. We see it all around us. Our country is broken. 
Now, I recognize that we had, I think, an election this week. I, I know it's kind of caught us by surprise. We haven't been hearing anything. But, but the reality, this has been one of the ugliest elections I have ever heard, at least that I can remember. But most elections kind of are, aren't they? And, and the reality, in the body of Christ, there is a, a vast array of emotions. In different churches, in different parts of the body, and where different people come from different places. The the reality in this place, some of our candidate, one of our candidates won, one of ours didn't. Perhaps for a lot of us, neither candidates were much uh, of something that we desired. uh, But you might even say your 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 group didn't win, or your group did win. but the reality is, in our, in our world and, and in the election that we just experienced, there was a vast array of emotions. And, and we have a tremendously broken country that we long to see God do something significant. And what we know throughout history that God raises up people of power to accomplish his purposes and his plans. And you see it throughout the scriptures. How God raised up different people at different times. Even in the times of Jesus, when you think about the religious leaders and the political leaders that are in the story of Jesus' crucifixion, um, who seemed to have so much power, who ultimately brought Jesus to trial, committed him to death, death on the cross. But even in the midst of the story where you seem to have such power that is driving the story, Jesus reminds us that he is the ultimate power, that he is the king. And that everything that happened to him happened because he allowed it. And you see it even in the Old Testament, uh, Nebuchadnezzar and, and during the, the Cyrus, king of Persia. And if you're familiar with those stories at all, as God is moving in the lives of his people. And there's just incredible stories. But you see it throughout scriptures where you even have pagan kings that God uses to ultimately to accomplish his purposes. I think sometime about back in 2008, there was a book. Uh, it was during right before the election that came out. Uh, it was written by Shane Claiborne. I don't know if you all ever read it, Jesus for President. Uh, but I remember specifically when that book came out. For me, it was just uh, it was one of those eye openers. I just recognized because so often when we look at political leaders and our, our governments, and, and you know, we can have great desires for them, but ultimately, our hope isn't in government. And our hope isn't even in the president. We know ultimately that our hope is in Jesus. And the scripture talks so often about whoever is in authority over you. Even our political leaders, they they ought to be approached with respect and to pray for them. And so whether it's Trump, you're for Trump or against Trump, or if you had been for Clinton and Clinton had gone in or against Clinton, the reality what God calls us to is to pray that God would do a mighty work in the heart, that he would draw them to himself, that he would surround them with wise counsel, and that God would use them in mighty rays to bring our country to a place of following hard after Christ and that his kingdom and his, thing, his purposes would be accomplished within us. And sometimes we begin to think and, and react in, in life uh, whether it's, it's at that level or just in our personal lives, we begin to think of ourselves as pawn, that we're out of control, uh, that we're pawns in, in this thing of life and that we have no power and that we have no way of, of directing anything on our lives. But the, the reality is we are never pawns if we belong to the king. And it just may be that the church will have more to do with the future of America than the president will have to do with the future of America in the next four years. I think that's the reality of the case. 
That God desires to use the church in such mighty ways to see his kingdom come in beautiful ways in our city. And so in life in general, when you think about your life, when we start looking to people or looking to anything more than we ultimately look to God um, for our deepest needs, for life, for hope, for security, we miss out on experiencing the true peace of God in our lives. See, ultimately, we are called to serve a king, and we are children of his kingdom, and God desires to use us in mighty ways. So I think it is a reality. For what God desires to do in our country, we can blame the government, we can blame a lot of people, but ultimately, it is the responsibility of the church and God's people to love God and to love people in such a way that God's kingdom comes, that what he wants done in the, the life of our country happens. When we begin to think about our neighborhood that we are in, you know, I, I think the, the, the reality, it is the responsibility of White Oak and the churches in this community to come together, to love each other and to love this community in such a way, to love the city in such a way that God's kingdom comes, that lives are touched. When you begin to think about your family and what God desires to do in your family, I mean, we can blame a lot of other folks, but God, ultimately, he desires to work in our lives and our individual families. When we talk about what God wants to do in our church and through our church, it it is us coming together and loving each other and loving God and seeing what he desires to do through us. And so the scripture begins to paint this picture that God desires to bring peace, that we would experience his peace, his shalom where the broken pieces become one and become whole in our lives and in our world. And and, and basically, he begins to lay out how we can experience that, how to know the power of God's peace in our lives. I think there's five things that the Scripture just lays out. It's real simple here. Uh, It's so plain. Uh, The first thing I would say is that we are to rejoice in our King continuously. You're to rejoice in your King continuously. If Jesus is your king, if there's a place in your life where you recognized both your sinfulness and your brokenness in your life and your need for a savior, and you recognized and believed with your heart that Jesus was the son of God, lived a perfect life, and ultimately died on the cross for your sins, and, and you came to the place of your life saying, Lord, I not only believe that, but I desire to follow you as my king. He is your king. And the part of being able to experience the peace of God in our lives is that we begin to rejoice. That in our hearts there is this sense every day that we wake up and throughout the day, man, I am a child of the King. I have loved by the King. I am loved by Jesus. I am His. And we rejoice in that. That word rejoice in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I, I will say it again, rejoice. That word literally means to delight in God's grace, in his undeserved favor. And so what Paul is saying here to them, he's saying, and to us, he says, rejoice. It's like it's a choice. Every day when we wake up, throughout the day, we have a choice of God. I'm going to rejoice in you. I'm going to delight in the fact that I have experienced your grace, your favor, that I'm loved by you, that you're present in my life. There's something that just happens when you choose to have that attitude of happiness, that attitude of joy. George Mueller uh, once said, they said, the first great and primary business of every day was to have my soul happy 
in the Lord. Choosing to make that your choice every day. I'm going to be happy in the Lord. Looking at your situation, looking with that perspective. And that is if things are easy and if things are really hard. It's those times where you might have hope or you might not have hope, but you choose, Lord, I am going to rejoice in you. I am going to be happy in you. I'm going to celebrate that I'm loved by you. And so I love the fact that Paul begins with that. He says, man, choose to rejoice in the Lord every day. Rejoice in the king. The second thing I think is, is real evident here is this idea that we're to love others generously. In verse 5, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. That idea of gentleness, what, what, what is he describing? Um, that word is not always the most easily translated. Depending on your translation, it might have been a, come out in a lot of different ways. It's, it's sometimes easier to see. It is the opposite of this. It is the opposite of self-seeking, contentious spirit. So what he's saying, to have, let your gentleness be evident to all, it's the opposite of having a life that is self-seeking. It's a life that is given to love others generously. And so every day, if we're to see and experience God's peace in our lives and in our world, if we're to see his shalom, if we're to see healing of the broken parts of our life and of our world, first we've got to choose to rejoice in him daily. And then secondly, we're to learn to love generously. There is nothing that impacts our world more when you encounter somebody and you choose to love them in a generous way with words, with actions, with with giving something up on your own. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's your resources. But where you speak into a person's life or you do something in such a way that they experience the love of God because of the generosity of your heart. The third thing he says here is that you're to relieve your anxiety through prayer. In verse 6 he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. He says, Don't be anxious about anything. So whatever it is you're anxious about in life, most of us experience anxiety at one time or other, Right? My guess is over half of us right now coming into this room, when we think about this coming week, there's something in your life that creates this anxiety. I mean, Paul's promise, God's promise here is that we're to not be anxious in everything, but in everything, in every situation, we pray. We bring it to God. We present it to God. We lay it before him, and we trust him. I mean, that is a powerful thing in, my, in your life. And we've talked before when, I, when I've shared with you, I mean, all of us have those experiences. But God is taken uh, us on on a journey in our lives where there has been a need to learn to trust if we're going to follow what god calls us to do um he's continually put us in those places lord man god you've got to show up and for all of us god puts us in those places that man if he doesn't show up we were in, in a bad place and so that is is a great time where we either are going to be crushed by our anxiety or we're going to choose to trust him and he doesn't always come right away. He doesn't always work in, in ways that we expect. But God, he is always faithful. And as we do that, the Lord is going to work in our hearts. He's going to continue to really purify our hearts for him. He's going to show up and we're going to experience his mercy and his grace, his forgiveness. He's going to give us hope. So if you find yourself in that place today, choose to rejoice in him. 
and take those things to him in prayer. And verse 7, when, when he says we do that, he says the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We experience his peace. And there's two other things that the scripture defines here. The, the fourth one is to think on praiseworthy things. Paul's super practical here. He, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think on praiseworthy things. You know, we can fill our minds with stuff that doesn't create life, right? Some of it can be really dark. You can be looking at stuff, you can be thinking about stuff, you can be talking to people, you can be focused on just negative stuff that is just dark. Some of it can, these things are just meaningless. I mean, that's part of the challenge of social media, right? I mean, there's so much that can attract your attention. And you can spend your days looking at Instagram, looking at Facebook, and everything you read there about people's perfect lives is absolutely true. <laughs> no, it isn't. It's a bunch of smoke. I call it smoke. And you start looking at long enough, you think, man, nobody's experiencing what I'm experiencing. Everybody's life is better than my life. So we can begin to just fill our minds and our lives with things that are not of significance. But what the Lord tells us here is, instead, what does it look like if you're going to focus your life on what's true? On what's noble? I love that word. What is noble? What is right, what is pure, what is lovely, whatever is admirable. So beginning to think about, what are you reading? Are you, you, you spending time in the scripture? Is your conversation with people, are you seeking out conversations that are beneficial or life-giving? What are you watching? What is it that you feel your mind, what are you listening to? Does the music lift you or does it tear you down? What have I given my mind to? Paul says here, and Scripture reveals to us, that if we think on things that are praiseworthy, are good, noble, pure, God's going to do a work in our heart. And then the fourth thing he says In verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. So the fifth thing I'd say is obediently live out what you know to be the will of God. Um, I have believed for years, and and, uh, I can't remember where we we were talking, some leadership development program I was involved in at one point, but uh, we, we talked about a lot about this gap in people's obedience. And that discipleship, ultimately, when you talk about what does it mean to be an authentic disciple of Jesus, it's really all about obedience. It's about being obedient to follow our king, right? And that for the majority of people, our, our uh, knowledge is beyond our obedience. And so part of what God does in our life is that he, he often sits us at places so uh, that our, our growth is limited. If there's things we know that God's calling us to obey him in, and we don't obey him in those things we know, we often miss out on seeing so much more of what God wants to reveal to us and show us. And so, so we get stuck because our, our, obe- our knowledge is far beyond our obedience. 
And I think what the scripture is saying here, man, Paul's saying, man, you know the things I've shared with you. Just live it out. I think what God wants us to understand is that we need to obediently live out what we know is the will of God in our life. So as God begins to stir your heart for things, as you're reading the scripture, God reveals places of brokenness. You repent and follow him in those areas, in areas of your relationships. You know, you know what God wants you to do? Do it. But being obedient to the things God shows you to do is critical in experiencing the peace of God. And his promise again in, in the second part of verse 9 is that when you do that, the God of peace will be with you. I like it talks about the peace of God in verse 7 and then the God of peace. that They're together. It's all the idea that God is walking and working in our lives. He is present with us. He is working. His peace is present. He's accomplishing his purposes. You know, as you think about those areas of your life that are creating anxiety, um, what does it look like for God's peace to impact you in those places? What does it look like for your life to begin to be used of God to see his purposes happen in the lives of the people that are around you, in your family and beyond, in your workplace, in your neighborhood? What does it look like for God to begin to bring his peace here? Um, let me ask you to bow your heads with me, and, and I just want to pray for you, and then uh, we're going to move into our next part of the service as we worship through communion. Um, I think the reality of what God wants us to understand is that he wants us to know the power of his peace in our world and in our lives. I'm going to ask this just this morning as you think about what does it mean and look like for you to rejoice in your king continuously. Would you just rejoice in God, to praise him, to thank him for being your king? Rejoice in the Lord always. As you begin to think about what it means to love others generously, as God begins to put some things on your heart, uh, would you make just a commitment, God, help me to love in that way? As you begin to think about those things that create anxiety in your life, would you give those to the Lord? Would you lay those before him this morning? Father, I thank you for um, the gift of, of just opening the scripture and allowing you to speak to us. And Lord, we live in a world in our own lives where there is such struggle, there's heartache, there, there's, there's things that create such worry in us. But Lord, we acknowledge you are king and that you are trustworthy. And that you're walking, working to accomplish your will and you desire to work your will out in our hearts, our lives, for us to experience your shalom. And Lord, I pray this week as we begin to just live into this in a more intentional way that, Lord, you would help us to think on those things that are praiseworthy and to live out obediently 
the things you show us to do. Lord, I pray your blessing over White Oak and, and God, all you desire to do through us in these months that are ahead. And we praise you for your faithfulness. Thank you for this day to worship you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.